Susan, butcher box to the rescue. The other night we had some friends over for dinner and we had no idea what to make. And I was like, guess what? We have a freezer full of meat. So my husband went down and thought out some chicken from butcher box and made the best cocoa van that we've had in a long, long time. Yeah, you'd have been screwed without butcher box because I know you ain't got no time to go to the store right now. That's true. I don't have time to go shop for meat or pick out the meat or find the best quality, low-priced meat. So ButcherBox does all of that for me. So true story, my husband's workplace has a Slack channel called Smoked Meats. And I know you can't like win a workplace conversation, but he is now because with ButcherBox, his great cuts of meat to the door, they can cook up and take photos of for his workmates. <laughs> I love ButcherBox and I think other people would too. ButcherBox is the ultimate convenience, delivered right to your doorstep, free shipping always, with curated, customized box plans. It's 100% grass-fed beef, free-range organic chicken, pork, raised crate-free, and wild-caught seafood. There are a variety of high-quality cuts at an amazing value with exclusive membership deals. They also provide recipe inspiration, guides, tips, and hacks. Sign up at butcherbox.com proof and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer, plus an additional 20% off. Choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com proof and use code proof to choose your free for a year offer. Plus get $20 off your first order. The information that I am providing today is coming from higher dimensional Things got so weird during 2020, and it wasn't just the QAnon conspiracy theorists. This New Age channel told us Donald Trump is a massive and powerful lightworker. A lightworker? And then what about this Oprah-endorsed, best-selling feminist health icon talking about heavy metals that are in vaccines that make our bodies literally into an antenna with 5G? As we continued studying what we now call conspirituality, it only got more intense. This is, this is the cult of Baphomet. This is Molochite worshipping stuff it gets very gory in the basement and it culminated with that shaman dude showing up at the capital insurrection but it didn't stop there every week on conspirituality podcast we track the overlaps between new age spirituality and far-right conspiracy cults oh y'all talked to Amanda Bolton already too yeah Last year, after our first trip to Rome to investigate this case, I told Lee Clark about how he'd spoken to several members of Brian Bowling's family, including Brian's sister, Amanda. Well, what all did Amanda have to say? She was really nice and helpful, and she wanted to tell someone about her brother. She wants her brother's story to be told. Lee asked me if Amanda thought that he had killed Brian. Yes, I told him. She does. Even after all these years in prison, Lee seemed kind of surprised every time I had to tell him this, that someone I'd spoken to had in fact believed he was guilty. Yeah, I don't know what to say about all that subject now. I just don't see how anybody down there at that house that night, I don't see how they didn't even anybody complain that I was outside. I just don't make no sense to me. Well, Brian's family never got closure because they still don't None of them feel like they know what happened. Oh, no, they don't. But I'll tell you this right here, Susan. Don't for one second, don't ever think that I don't feel sympathy for them. For them losing their son. I do. My heart goes out to them. It really does. I mean, I can't imagine what it's like to sit there and have somebody that you love to lose them at such a young age. My heart pours out to them. What they don't realize is I sit behind these walls for all these years. And that stuff is aided me to sit there and know that Brian is dead. Here he is, he's gone. At a young age, he's never had a chance to live his life. But the same way they haven't have been able to get closer because they don't know what went on in their room. Well, I'm in the same I'm in the same shoes they're in. I want some closure for myself too. They probably they probably got all kinds of stuff in their mind. They probably think that I got a lot of ill feelings toward them and I don't. But it would mean the world to me for one day for Mandy to just be able to look me in the eye and her for her to tell me that she, that she knows that I didn't have anything to do with anything that happened with her brother.
Hi, my name is Susan Simpson. I'm an attorney and podcaster. Hi, I'm Jacinda Davis, and I'm a true crime TV producer. Last year, Susan and I decided to team up and reinvestigate the murder of Brian Bowling. Along with Kevin Fitzpatrick, president of Red Marble Media, we decided to launch Proof. You can listen to Proof like you would any podcast, and you can follow us everywhere with the handle at ProofCrimePod and on our website, ProofCrimePod.com. For this episode of Proof, we have accompanying videos that you won't want to miss. You can check them out on our YouTube page or linked on social media. Wrongful convictions don't just affect those who have been wrongfully convicted. These cases have deep and traumatic impacts in the wider community around them, including especially on crime victims and their families, who, when they find out that the criminal justice system never gave them the answers that they thought they'd found, are victimized for a second time. Most of the time, for the families of victims, the process of coming to terms with a wrongful conviction doesn't begin until after there's been an exoneration until after the legal systems declared that someone innocent was convicted of the crime. Which is why I was surprised when, a few weeks back, Brian's uncle, Michael Baker, sent me a message. Do you think it would be possible for me to meet with Glenn Clark, he asked. We asked Glenn what he thought about the idea. He was open to it, but also hesitant. I think he was a little nervous, even though he told us he wasn't. Were you worried, though? Are you no. worried about what they might want to say to you? Ain't nothing they can say that I can't answer. I don't care what it is, there ain't nothing they can say that uh, I can't answer for them. Not long after I'd gotten the message from Brian's uncle, Amanda sent a message to Glenn via Facebook. Do you still have the message that Amanda sent you? Mm-hmm. Would you mind reading it to us? Yeah, I'll read it to you. It says, Mr. Clark, I would like to start off by saying I am truly sorry from the bottom of my heart and soul about the last 25 years. Lee deserves to be home. He should have never been charged or in prison. I pray Lee can forgive me one day for believing what Dallas told us. I have been praying so hard for God to help me with this. My mind and my heart has changed how I feel. Lee had nothing to do with my brother's death. There is no way I can ever make it up to Lee or you for the past 25 years. I pray you all can forgive me and my family. I just wanted to tell you this, and if you could please read this to Lee and tell him I am so sorry, and I pray he gets to get set free. If there's anything I can do to help, please let me know. Prior to Brian's death, Brian's family and Kane's family had known one another. And after Kane's conviction, they continued to be in touch from time to time, no matter how strained those interactions might have been. But Brian's family and Lee's family had never met. The only time they'd ever laid eyes on one another had been at the courthouse during Lee's and Kane's trial. In fact, before Amanda sent her message to Lee's dad, the two families had never contacted one another. It took a lot for her to do that. I'm just telling you. I didn't, I didn't respond to that because it's hard for me to respond and show feelings on a text. I ain't a texter, I'm a talker. But that was real sweet for her to do that, okay? She says she hopes you can forgive her. Does she oh, need forgiveness? Okay, hon, I forgave her, I love her. She, she was done wrong, you know, and uh, I'm not saying that they owed me anything. They did not. Susan, Kevin, and I traveled down to Rome, Georgia and arranged for Glenn to meet with Michael and Amanda at Glenn's church in Cave Spring. My heart was heavy for them, you know, because I know they're going through a hard time. I want to talk to them. I love to talk to them, uh, to just let them know that 
I have no hard feelings toward them whatsoever. You know what I'm saying? Are you ready? Oh, yeah. All right, let's do this. I'm ready. Hey. Hey, sweetie. How are you? Good. Good. I read what you put on Facebook earlier, and I pray for you. Thank you. Lord, take care of everything. Yes, okay. Put all our faith in him, he take care of the rest. Sure. I thank you so much for being here. Yeah. I'll see y'all, man. Nice to see you, man. I, I've never got to meet neither one of you. Right, yeah, no. we'll never meet you. That's, I kind of feel bad about that, honestly, well, man. Amen. Really bad about that. Well, we both mm -hmm. really wanted to uh, meet with you, talk with you, the yeah, other man. side of the story, finally, after all these years. And yeah. honestly, we're on your side, man. We praise God. We know that he's innocent. A lot of people's not been truthful. We my, want to do my. what we can do to help you and to help Lee mm -hmm. and to get him out of this mess. Like I said, after all this, we agree a thousand percent over that Lee had nothing to do with it. Absolutely. The members of Brian's family that we spoke to all agreed to be interviewed for this podcast. They wanted Brian's story to be told. But this hasn't been an easy process for them. How difficult have the last few months been? It has been difficult to listen to it, kind of reliving the whole thing again. Uh, we went through this years, you know, a couple years before the trial, just pure hell. I mean, we're open to opening our wounds again, just for the real true answers. And we don't want anyone that's innocent to be in jail. No. And we feel guilt for that. It's, it's a hard process, and I'm impressed and grateful that your family has been so open to this process because it's hard. To do. It is hard. It is yeah. very hard. Very hard. But we're doing it for the whole family. You know, my sister, her and her husband both have passed. Uh, my mother and father. But that's all we've been looking for is answers. Listening to this podcast reopened old wounds for Brian's family but it also opened entirely new ones. They learned that the justice they thought had been obtained in this case hadn't been justice at all. And that as a result of Brian's tragic death, two of his friends have been wrongfully taken from their families and sent to prison for the past 25 years. We definitely sincere from the bottom of our hearts apologize. We uh, feel somewhat at fault for it, but we hope you understand it was what we were being fed mm -hmm. from the police department yeah. and uh, from all the rumors. Mm -hmm. And we're glad after all these years to discover the truth. Well, that's answer prayer, my friend. I've been praying for it for a long, long time. I know you have, sir. And, uh, I hate it that y'all been put through what y'all been put through. And Amanda, I thank you for what you sent out to me, and it meant a lot to me, and I did read that to Lee. Okay. And he, he, was, uh, he was choked up, baby. He was, he was, he really was. And I'll tell y'all both that he don't, he don't have no hard feelings toward y'all. Glenn says that when this first happened 25 years ago, he did have mixed feelings about the bowlings and what had happened to his son. Long, long time ago, long time ago, when all this first went down, yeah, I had some mixed feelings, sure. you know. And yes, understandable. I, you know, I, you know, I asked Lee, you know, and and you know, he said, "Daddy," he said, "You know, it's we didn't do it." He said, "We didn't do it," you know. And uh, with all this stuff going on with battles and all this, and he's feeding y'all all this stuff, and I understand, hey, I'd have been the same way. Yeah. I would have been. I mean, you don't, you didn't know who Lee was. Glenn came to realize, though, that Brian's family had also been victims of the investigation that was done in this case. They sent two young boys off of prison for something they didn't even do, and they destroyed this family right here. I mean, they took something from them and, and, and stuff. It's going, hey, look here, everything's going, after everything's gone, it's st they still, they still got to live with it. They got to live with it. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm going to live with it, but... 
To me, mine's not as bad as theirs, even though my son been locked up 25 years. My son will get to come home. Brian ain't. I want you to know how sorry yeah. and deeply sorry I am for ever doubting and listening well. to the cops. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're supposed to be able to trust them, you know, and they're not supposed to do us like that. So I, bl I blame, right. I blame the system. I blame the Dallas. It was a different for me, but it just waited. They use y'all to do what they do, what you want to do, get y'all yeah. thinking, hey, look, yeah, he done it. He needs to go to prison, this and that. Yeah. And that's all that was. And I'd, it'd been the same way if it'd been on my side. When Kane and Lee were convicted, Brian's family had not doubted that they were guilty of conspiring to murder Brian. But at the same time, they'd always been hesitant about some aspects of the prosecution's case. Take, for instance, the theory that Brian had been murdered because of the Freebird gang. As Glenn pointed out during the meeting with Brian's family, it was the centerpiece of the prosecution's case. And the uh, district attorney says, look, and he said this in closing argument, we're going to set an example here today. That we're not going to take gangs. That Floyd County will not tolerate gangs. Right. But there, there ain't no gang. No. There ain't no. no gang. But what he do, he puts it in the, in the jurors. Yep. In their head. Oh, yeah. 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 So. No, they're just a group of kids, just a group of boys. And I, they never believe for one minute about a gang. They day. question us over and over about never gangs. We have to tell them, you know, it's just a group of kids. The gaps and inconsistencies in the prosecution's case meant that even though Brian's family got the verdict that they believed to be just, there'd been no sense of closure for them. One thing we do a lot while investigating is sign up for newspapers. Local papers all over the country try and track down some scrap of info from I don't know, the random 2007 edition of the Memphis paper, just for hypothetical example. <laughs> hypothetical. But the problem is we always forget to cancel those subscriptions. Luckily, there's a solution for people like us who sometimes lose track of things, and that's Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, you get full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of your expenses. Rocket Money will even try to negotiate lower bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you. That's amazing. That's, that's all I want in life is for someone to always deal with customer service for me. It's like having a personal assistant. Rocket Money has over 5 billion users and has saved them over $500 billion and saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash proof. That's rocketmoney.com slash proof. Rocketmoney.com slash proof. Susan, it's no secret that I have been taking Nutrafol and loving it for a few months now. Susan, have you gotten your Nutrafol yet? I finally did. I'm on the Nutrafol train and I'm really excited because, not going to lie, my hair's been a hot mess this whole season. I think this season has impacted both of our hair in not great ways. Our sanity, our health, and definitely like, like ripping hair out in frustration sometimes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But thankfully, Nutrafol is there to help. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Thinning hair is different for men and women, so a one-size-fits-all approach to hair growth doesn't cut it. Nutrafol has multiple formulas that are tailored to give your hair what it needs to grow based on your biology. Take the hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. Take the first step to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month's subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code PROOF. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com. That's spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com. Promo code PROOF. That's Nutrafol.com. Promo code PROOF. Thank you. 
Every day in America, 60 million packages are delivered. But we don't always know what's inside. He bent down to pick the package up. That's when the device detonated. Danger is everywhere, and no one is safe in Austin, Texas, as law enforcement hunts a serial bomber for 19 days. From Sony Music Entertainment, Campside Media, and Pegalo Pictures, this is Witnessed. 19 days. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts to binge all episodes or listen weekly wherever you get your podcasts. Y'all didn't ever get an answer. Never. So it never really was totally resolved for you. Right. Right. Yeah. Y'all never, y'all never was at peace with it. Never. never. Yeah, even on behalf of my sister Deborah Brown's mom. Yeah. You know, her and her husband both have passed away, but even after the trial, she still seeked the truth yeah. from then on. So right. I know in my heart that she knew in her heart that something wasn't right while right. we were being fed, and she went to her grave trying to figure out. Hey, you Amen. Know, yeah. I'm sorry for that. But I know she's here with us. Amen. And I know she knows that we're doing the right thing. The lingering uncertainties about some aspects of the state's case had been one of the reasons why, when we'd asked to interview them for this podcast, Brian's family had agreed. That's kind of why we've been so open to all of this, because we wanted to know the truth. It's uh, kind of why we're listening, you know, to the whole podcast to kind of get the other side of the story, because, you know, we'd never heard from... Lee or your yeah, family and, right. and very little from the stories, you know, so we just wanted to make sure that all the truth was out there and for us to make up our mind, you know, what truly happened because, like I said, for years and years, ever since, you know, all the years, we just didn't feel right that it was the truth. There was still something missing. The whole process of participating in and then listening to the podcast has probably been hardest on Amanda. For weeks, she'd be up at 5 a.m. every Monday to listen to the newest episode as soon as it was released. At first, hearing Kane and Lee deny that they had murdered her brother had been upsetting. But then, listening to the podcast started to become difficult for a different reason. When this podcast came out, it really really took a toll on me because, you know, I felt bad for believing that for 25 years, you know, but. When we first talked to you, I remember being struck by how little you and Kenneth knew, how yeah. little had ever been shared with you. Yeah. yeah. We was like kind of shielded from it. Week by week, as she listened to the podcast, Amanda started to realize that what she thought she knew about the case, what she'd been told about the case all those years ago, was not necessarily the reality of what had happened. Yeah. You know, it, it takes a lot to convince somebody something that they thought of for so long. It's hard to convince them that something really didn't happen. I was hoping, Amanda, Michael, if you could talk to Glenn a little bit about your personal process of changing your minds, your hearts about what happened and how, how that's been for you. It's been, it's been rough. You know, it, I, I spent many nights on my knees praying because, you know, I always thought that he did it, right. you know, and I've been praying and, you know, that's helped me get through this, is praying. Amen. <laughs> without that, I just, I'm not too sure, but whenever all this come out about Dallas, it's when my whole outlook changed. Mm -hmm. When I heard and seen the things that he had done. In the lead up to the trial, investigators had been telling Brian's family that they had solid proof that Lee had been at the bowling's trailer that night. And they had no reason to doubt this. The only thing we could go on was the Charlie Childers statement, which was long after the fact as well. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, kind of the turning point was a lot of things on the podcast. They kept telling us that they sent his body to the crime lab. We were told that from the funeral home as mm -hmm. well as the police department corner. Just a lot of the lies. I mean, just it never add up. You know, it's, uh, just hearing the podcast and hearing the lies, corruption from the police department, things we were told, kind of piecing it back together, mm -hmm. showing that they were just not being truthful with us. 
is what got me to open my eyes and heart. But like I said, we went into this podcast wanting to know the truth, wanting answers. Amen. That's what we've been looking for yes. for, like yeah. I said, 25 years. And like I said, my sister, you know, they went, my mom, they went to their grave trying to search for the answers. Bless your heart. We're uh, thankful to finally get them. I feel dumb on my part for believing them, but, you know, I can't take that back, but I can go forward now. Amen. Just do what I can to help both of them. Don't feel dumb for believing the detectives who are responsible for... That's right. And I will say, from the very first time we met you, I was impressed and grateful about how open you were, how much you wanted to find the truth. Yeah. That's all I wanted to know. That's all we all wanted to know. We wanted the truth to come out. And it's finally coming out. But we still will never know exactly what happened in that room. But, but we know it was not intentionally. Brian's family does not believe that Lee was involved in any way with Brian's death. But Lee's co-defendant, Kane Story, indisputably was involved and to some degree responsible for what happened to Brian. I wonder now what your feelings are at this point about Kane and his involvement. Or Josh, I'm sorry, I know you guys call him Josh. Well, I mean, I still kind of wonder, you know, exactly what happened. I know for sure that Lee's not involved uh, for his Kane or Josh, um, just from hearing contradicting stories. And then, like I said, when he met me at the door, saying, you know, he didn't mean to shoot him. I'm not sure if it was an accident or I'm not sure if it's suicide. I would love to talk to Kane as well, you know, to hear. As Kane himself acknowledges, it was his actions that night that led to Brian's death. I had no business down there with his gun. And I had no business playing Russian roulette. And I had no business allowing Brian to do what he did. And I did it anyway. And for that, I'm sorry. Kane says it was Brian who fired the shot that night. But Kane also acknowledges that he brought the gun and the bullet to Brian's bedroom and gave them both to Brian. And that he too was playing Russian roulette with Brian before the fatal shot was fired, even if at first the two of them had been cheating at the game. While Brian's family remains unsure about what exactly went down in Brian's bedroom, the exact details are less important to them now than is the knowledge that whatever happened, it was no murder conspiracy. Either Brian accidentally killed himself or Josh accidentally shot Brian. You know, either way, it was an accident. I'm not sure if it was suicide or if it was an accidental shooting. But I definitely do not think it was on purpose that he had no kind of intentions to harming Brian at all. And either way, you know, I forgive him either way. In my opinion, he's served more than enough time as well, you know, even if it was an accidental shooting. Have you ever wanted to talk to Kane, Amanda? Or Josh? Yeah, I do. He's really struggled in prison. He's had a real hard... I know Lee has too, but... Yeah. He's, um... I know it's been hard. I know. I mean, I can't put myself there, but I can only imagine what it's been like for them. I'm sure it's been pure Hades for them. And that from talking to both of them, I mean, you've heard a lot from Lee, but Josh has just given up hope. I can tell. I can really tell. He just give up, really. He agreed to talk to me, but the sort of sense every time I've talked to him is like, why bother? What's the point? Yeah. Like he don't have no hope. That's right. But he needs to. He needs to have hope. And it's a harder, it's a different situation. I do feel confident that whatever happened, he never meant for Brian to die. No, he didn't. I know he didn't. It was a complete accident. And I forgive Josh, you know, for bringing the gun in. You know, and I know that's what he feels so guilty for. And then having to watch Brian die. 
Because they were best friends. I mean, yeah. I don't think there's no way in the world he would have ever harmed him. Mm-mm. I think he would have took up for him to yeah. protect Brian, even, you know. Just the day before, yeah. they were playing, I had a barn there, and they were running around the barn, squirting each other with water guns, you know, playing. So, just being kids. Hardcore so. gang members right there. Yeah, yeah. really, ain't yeah. they? Water guns. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like Brian and Josh were particularly close. That was. They were. They was. We had good times. We yeah, did. and it seems like your family was just so welcoming to Josh whenever mm-hmm. he was in trouble or was getting kicked out of his house <laughs> for who knows what. Yeah. Like, but yeah, we loved him, and we still do, you know. And I'd like to see Josh get out as well, you know. There's no way you could repay them or do anything for their time loss. I mean, they've lost, like I was telling Mr. Clark, uh, they spent more time in jail than they you know, have actually outside of jail. And uh, it was sad, very, very sad that they've both grown up in jail. I was just a 17-year-old dumbass kid. Now I'm a 42-year-old middle-aged man. And I've been here ever since. I just love, love to have my chance to get out there and be the man that my daddy always wanted me to be. But if I don't, then I still want the truth to be known regardless. Only two people were charged and put on trial for Brian's murder, but there had also been a third alleged member of the conspiracy, Brian's girlfriend, Caprice. For 25 years, Brian's family has believed that she helped kill Brian and then managed to escape justice. How do you feel about Caprice? I'm still dealing with that. You know, I don't think she had anything to do with it. It's hard to unhate somebody that you have, you know, had hard feelings against for so long. I think it'll just take a little time. Yeah, we were actually just talking about that on the way over. We were. Uh, we we owe her an apology as well. Yeah, we do. Brian's family is not the only family to be impacted by this podcast. When we were down in Rome on our recent trip, we also met with someone else. My name is Matt Battle. I am the uh, um, middle child of Dallas Battle. I heard about the podcast through my sister. She's a fan of the, of the podcast. At least she was until she heard one of the episodes. And she was upset. She was very upset. She loved her father, and and he loved her. So she texted me and gave me the links. So I listened to... Uh, the podcast, and I believe that it showed, uh, of course, if a police officer uh, does his job, he's going to make a lot of people mad, but I believe that it showed an unfair percentage of people who obviously hated my dad uh, for obvious reasons, and it was just disproportionate and never showed what good he did, and it by no means reflected the type of person he was just uh, an element of his job that some people hated and there's nothing wrong with them having their own point of view Um, but my father can no longer speak for himself as he's passed away my dad loved his job he wanted to help people and um, but yeah he definitely definitely is a hero nobody will ever make me believe any different because I knew him. After hearing the episode about his father, Matthew Battle reached out to us to give us the point of view about Sergeant Battle that no one else had been able to give us on the record. I'm in a um, unique position where I did work with Floyd County, but I don't work with Floyd County anymore. I'm not bound by the same ties that some of the other people you spoke with are bound by. Some of them, if they spoke, were worried about their job security, um, worried about their retirement. And uh, unfortunately, that is absolutely true. But I'm not employed by Floyd County. I'm no longer in law enforcement. And 
if you have any questions you'd like to ask me, I'm, I will answer them to the best of my ability. If you were still employed by Floyd County, do you think you could talk to us? No, I would. If I was still employed by Floyd County, then they found out I was sitting here talking to you about it. There's no doubt in my mind I would be fired. I grew up in Floyd County, and I know I know wherever I speak, it's they're very oppressive when it comes to their employees and what they do and don't want employees to say. Having grown up in and worked for Floyd County, Matthew Battle was not surprised when he heard on the podcast about some of the trouble we've had obtaining records from some of the agencies in Floyd County. This is an opinion, okay? This is not fact. I don't have anything factual to back it up. However, I'm not stupid, and I certainly don't believe that either one of you are. I lost it is an excuse for either I'm incompetent at my job or I don't want to give it to you. So a way to kind of go around uh, the legal system and say, uh, we're, we're making an effort, we're trying to locate it. I know we've discussed that like, if they truly couldn't find these files, you think they'd be embarrassed and there's no sign of embarrassment. No, there's uh, and that's because they're confident, because it's worked so many times, that people will just stop and say it's too much trouble, I have other things to do, and let it go. And that's, that's the strategy that's being used. That's my opinion. The strategy that's being used is we'll ignore them, they'll go away. However, I do know that filing the correct paperwork, asking for open records under the Open Records Act. You should be given what is legal for you to have. But if anybody's withholding information, I do know it's a crime. Matthew Battle told us he didn't know much about the Brian Bowling case, so there wasn't too much he could share with us about it, though he had known one of the defendants. Well, we knew Kane's story. We grew up in church with him up until about age 13, 12 or 13, and Dad didn't want to to put people in prison, especially people that, you know, he may have seen growing up. But um, it's not easy to have to arrest somebody that you know, um, but you have to arrest. Did your dad ever mention this case? When Brian was actually killed, I was 15, and I was working as a bag boy at Piggly Wiggly, you know, saving up money for a truck when I turned 16. And he, my dad wouldn't share a lot with me about it. I remember he told me that Kane was in a lot of trouble, and he, he didn't want us to be upset that somebody we knew was in a lot of trouble. Even though his father never shared details about the investigation with him, Matthew Battle does feel confident that there are things Sergeant Battle would absolutely have done as he investigated the case. And according to Craig Burns, your dad was like, no, it's fine, we don't need an autopsy. No. No, no, no. He would have had an autopsy. Why, why would he not? Do you know of your dad in any other cases not seeking an autopsy? Seems like a strange thing for an investigator not to do. No, I don't. Um, I know that he and David Stewart would go and witness autopsies. They didn't have to go as the investigator to see the autopsy, but they would go. Um, so your dad clearly took a personal interest or understood the importance of the autopsies if he went in person. He took it very seriously. Um, he he would go to every autopsy he could. So no, he, Dad, the, the Dallas battle that I knew would have wanted an autopsy. Uh, I don't know why there wasn't an autopsy. Matthew Battle couldn't tell us much about the specifics of the bowling case, but he does know someone who could. Officer David Stewart. 
David is a plethora of information. He does very much want to talk about this case to you. And he is stuck between a rock and a hard place because he's close to retirement. And he needs this retirement. But if there is something that suggests that there could be evidence that Lee Clark is innocent, or even Kane's story was innocent, if there were anything to suggest that, my dad and David Stewart would be all for, let's get it right. If there was a wrong done, let's get it right. They're not monsters. They've served their community. They love people. They love their families. And if they could go back and and do it again because of of some evidence that came up, they would do it. My dad would do it. That's the kind of people they are. They would go back and do it. They wouldn't want to send somebody to prison that didn't deserve to go there. They know how horrible prison is. I wish David could talk to you. Matthew Battle told us that his dad and Officer David Stewart had worked together on hundreds of cases. It went way beyond co-workers. We were a family, still are. David's a dear friend. You don't find many friends like that in life. I remember one time David told me a murder suspect was raising a gun to shoot David. They were hunting him in Polk County, and Dad got between him and David Stewart and started wrestling with the gun and got the gun down. And then David was able to engage in, in in the fight, and they were able to wrestle the gun away, and uh, nobody got shot. Before Matthew Battle met with us, he'd called up David Stewart and met with him first to talk about the case and to let him know he planned to speak with us. And he told us that David Stewart told him that he'd been listening to the show. And he said Stewart told him he felt like he'd been thrown under the bus, not by the podcast, but by Floyd County. Glenn Clark has held on to the hope that one day his son will be able to come home. But for a long time, for decades now, he and Lee have been at a loss for how to make that happen. I've been waiting and looking and searching all these years to try to find somebody that had a little leverage that could help on this, you know, with Lee, because I knew that he was an innocent man. I prayed about it, prayed about it, and let me tell you now, I. I've questioned the Lord. He don't mind you questioning. But it's on his time. His his will will be done. And it's working now because I prayed for him to send somebody our way. And he did. He did. Susan calls me one day and she wants to come see me. And that's when the Lord started work. And he's working it right now. Just like right now, he's bringing us together. I talked to Lee last night. He's... Ever since all this podcast stuff and all's been going on, he's his mind's just racing. Yeah. Uh, you know, you got somebody that's been in there as long as he has, and, right. and then when it come back, y'all listen to the podcast and all, and it was a. He said, "He said, Daddy, he said, you realize what this means? You know, it just really just broke him down." It was 1997 when Lee Clark was arrested and taken away from the life he had just started to make for himself. That life he will never be able to get back. Lee's a, I saw Lee go into prison as a boy, a young boy, scared to death. I watched him become a man in prison. Hard way to come up. I'm just so thankful for the Lord and all of this, all this stuff has came out. Me I really too. am. I wish it would came out a lot sooner. Amen. Me too. A lot sooner. Because yeah. you can't get back 25 years. No. 
and there's just no way, you know. Mm -hmm. And I hope he does get out soon, and maybe he can find him a girl, and maybe he can have him a baby. I sure hope so. Now, I think about, after the podcast, what, you know, 25 years later that we've been living a lie, or been deceptive, you know. Um, can't change it at all. Um, just like Mr. Clark, though, I wish the balls would get turning rapidly. I'd like to see him out of jail today, you know. Hey, man. I don't think it would be too soon. Uh, there's no way to go back in the past, just like he said, uh, but I do think about it every day. And my heart goes out to you and your family, Lee, uh, Josh, and Miss Story as well, June, all of them. My heart hurts for every one of them for having to go through this as well. I know uh, we've lost Brian where he is gone. They've lost their child where Hopefully they will be able to see him, you know, very soon. But it's been, I would imagine, just like a death to you guys as well. Mm -hmm. You know, not being able to see, or just like you said, Christmases and birthdays, you know, special right. occasions. And, uh, and I think every day, you know, about, I've been wanting to talk to you to kind of get all this off my chest too, you know, but just anything we could do to help you to correct the wrong. Now, after the podcast, all I can think about is how to make this wrong a right. Amen. That's my main concentration now. You know, I still think about my brother, and I love my brother. I always will, you know, but we need to do what we need to do now to help Lee and Josh both. Whatever we'll we can do to help get him out, we will. Mm -hmm. Go to the parole board meeting, right. go write letters, talk to attorneys, do, do yeah, whatever we do. can. I had the investigator from the Georgia Innocent Project contact me. Oh, did you? I talked with him yesterday. Oh, sweet. And so then he told me that their attorneys is gonna come and talk with me. So I told him I would do whatever I can to help y'all. Brian's family wants to see the justice system act quickly to right the wrong that occurred here. Unfortunately, when it comes to innocence claims, the wheels of justice often turn slowly. It can take years just to get a court hearing, and sometimes years more before the court gets around to issuing a ruling. And then add some more time on top of that for the decision to get appealed and ruled on. And then, depending on what was ruled on, that whole process can start over at the beginning and go back to the trial court and get appealed again before some kind of final decision is ever reached. In other words, it can take a really long time. But if and when the day comes that Lee wins his freedom, Glenn Clark is ready to help his son return to the outside world. Well, I'm 63 year old now. And I pray to the Lord all the time that he'll let him out soon and where I can spend some time with him. Yeah. I can help him get on his feet, help him get established, you know, and that's that's what I want to do. Right. We've, there's been a lot of time lost, you know? Yeah, yeah. too many years. Uh, too many years. Uh, and when he does, it's going to be a shocker it for is, him. Yeah, yeah. 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 Imagine he's been being, in there longer than he was out. You know, what I mean, most that's, of his that's life, right. you know, over half his life. All he knows is gray walls and metal chairs and metal beds. And I got my family out there. I got my dad, my mom, and stuff like that. Because I love my dad and I love my mom unconditionally. But just saying that that's all I've got out there makes me feel like I'm still a teenager. Lee and his dad are close, but in some ways, Lee has told me, he thinks his dad still sees him as that teenager that he was when he went in. I tell him all the time, I said, look, I said, I just want to get out of here, find me a good girl, get married, have me some kids. You know what he tells me? Boy, they y'all be thankful you ain't got no wife to worry about. You ain't got no kids. You ain't got to worry about all them problems. I want them problems. I want them problems. Been to be 42 years old. I know everything I want out of life. I know what I want to do with my life. I even know what I want to do as far as work for the rest of my life. It ain't cutting trees like my daddy, I can tell you that right now. 
I'm gonna have to use that work though to get what I'm wanting to accomplish though. I'm gonna have to use that to get the money up. Lee knows that if he ever gets out of prison, his best shot at finding work is to go into the tree business like his dad. But long term, he hopes to open up his own business. It's gonna be it's gonna be like a place for animals. I mean, it's like animal hotel, pet hotel. Yeah, let's t- take this for instance. You take your dog to the dog kennel if you're going out of town. You know what I'm saying? All right. Well, this place is a step up from that. You know, and I know. Take your dog for instance. Treat your dog by family and your cat, right? Yep. Okay, so you're naturally going to want the best for them if you're going out of town and you're giving them to somebody else to watch out for, right? So why would you take them to a dog kennel when you could bring them to my place? It's going to be a good little setup once I get it up running. I got a lot of good things in mind for it. Something that people will come up in there and when they see it and, and they, they see how their their animals are being treated, they'll be like, yeah, we're, we're going to come back here. It's going to be pretty cool. Glenn is not surprised that his son doesn't plan to follow in his footsteps if he ever does get released. He's a cat lover. You know, when he was up at Walker up there, he had a pet cat. And uh, he said, he called me, said, Daddy, he said, I need you to send some money to buy his cat, cat food, you know. <laughs> and uh, at, what Lee told me, that cat loved him because every time he'd go over there to, to go to work, that cat loved to see him come and jump up <laughs> in his lap. <laughs> he was crazy about that cat. You know, Lee got a vision. And I told Lee, that's a good thing. I said, because people like their animals as much as they do the kids and family. I mean, you you get attached to them. Lee has lots of plans for what his life will be like once he's out of prison. First, though, he'll need to win his freedom. However long that may take, Brian's family is now united with Lee's and Kane's to see that it happens. You all feel better having sat here? Oh, amen. A thousand times better. Ain't no doubt. Something we've been needing for years. I mean, I've never met this man till today, and her either. I've never laid eyes on him, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it brings a peace, peace in your heart. Yeah. It does me. I know it does me, too. I feel like I've known him forever. Thanks for listening to episode 15 of Proof. There will be a sidebar released on Thursday, but next Monday, we'll have a special episode with me, Jacinda, Kevin, and Dan the Cameraman to discuss the entire first season of Proof, where things stand now with the case and what to expect in the future. If you have questions for us about anything that happened this season, send them our way on social media or by email at proofcrimepod at gmail.com. You've been listening to Proof, a podcast by Red Marble Media. Kevin Fitzpatrick is our executive producer. Our logo was designed by Drew Hosuski, and our theme music is by Ramiro Marquez. Audio production for this episode is by George Panos and Michael Yulatowski. Production assistance provided by Jude Slava. Our social media manager is Skylar Park. Thank you to our sponsors for making it possible for us to come back week after week. Follow us everywhere with the handle at ProofCrimePod and on our website, ProofCrimePod.com. That's all for this week. Thanks for listening.